Welcome to Mental Conversations, a podcast focusing on positive mental health and overcoming the struggles of life. My name is Chris Sutton, and today I'm excited because I'm with Becky L'Oreal, Cumberworth it, <laughs> Becky Cumberworth. Um, Becky is a mental health enthusiast and consumer of literature, is what I've put down here. Absolutely. Welcome. Thank you. Um, so, oh, <laughs> I've actually put on here, she's also a wonderful human being. Oh, That's nice, aw. isn't it? Obviously, I forgot to say it naturally, but I've written it down, so we'll put it out there. Um, so today we're going to talk about books, books that can help us, books that have helped us on mm-hmm. our kind of mental health journey and things that have helped us and are helping us to focus on positive mental health. Um, and you were literally just saying to me, it doesn't have to be like a self-help book, mm. it could be anything. So do you want to kick off? Absolutely. I think um, there's huge benefits from reading. It's time for you, first of all, whatever it is you're reading, that is time that you have taken just to sit and be quiet and rest. So mm-hmm. I think reading can be really beneficial just in and of itself. doesn't really matter what the content is. Yeah. Um, but then obviously there are specific books out there, self-help books, personal development books, books about spirituality, emotional health, that if you are... Um, experiencing a period of poor mental health could have some nuggets of information in there that are genuinely helpful for you. I, do you know what? In the prep for this, which was extensive, it was, a, it was you know, we're talking double digits in terms of minutes here. <laughs> um, I never thought about the fact that actually just the act of reading is sitting... Um, and, at, and essentially it's a bit of an escapism, isn't it? Mm. You know, you are escaping into another world, whether it be fiction or fact or, or you know whatever it is so that's a really yeah I, I really like that mm. so so you were going to kick off you were going to tell me about something called reading well I absolutely am so there is a national scheme um, called reading well that promotes the benefits of reading for health and well-being so there's two strands you've got reading well and then you've got mood boosting books so reading well books are self-help books that have been chosen by uh, medical professionals but also by people that are experiencing poor mental health and right. by uh, reading groups so it's not just one person's idea of what I'm might writing be this book. down right now <laughs> <laughs> um, and they are the 98 percent of libraries in England uh, participate in this scheme so you can get these books you don't have to buy them really? yourself yeah just pop into your local library and oh, say i'm cool. interested right. in the reading well scheme and they'll point you in the direction of the books that are available i love that play on words the reading well mm. yeah i think mm. that's clever as well mm. so and okay so i like that the other strand is mood boosting books so where reading well is more based on the sort of science and the things that have been proven to help people with um, their mental health. Mood boosting books might be poetry, might be fiction, might be personal stories. So um, other people maybe that have lived with particular conditions and you're hearing um, from them what their experiences are. Okay, I like both of those things because, and and in fact, um, just before we press play on this, we we were talking about the fact it doesn't have to be self-help books and some books you just find really uplifting to read and uh, you know so so actually reading in itself is um is the thing that benefits but going on to specific books mm. what this because actually we were talking about what we would do a podcast around because mm. you are a mental health enthusiast and you'd help people um couch to 5k and running so with like active stuff um but you said to me i'd like to come and talk about books mm. so what were the books well tell me one of them what kind of flew into your into your mind about 
Oh gosh, my I think my favourite one and the one probably that I recommend the most is The Chimp Paradox by Dr Steve Peters. I was attracted to it in the first instance because I do a lot of sport and Dr Steve Peters is the psychologist that worked with the British cycling team and the British cycling team didn't didn't really used to win that much mm. and then they suddenly became amazing on a global se- on the global scene and uh, I knew that Steve Peters was the guy that had helped them so I thought I'm interested to see what his book is about um, yeah so that's what attracted me to it in the first place and yeah it's definitely the one I recommend most to other people now so w- what is it and, and when you read it I'm assuming you weren't let down then oh god I loved it yeah mm. so what, what's it about so the thing that I took away from it is it teaches you about the two different bits of your brain um, and it teaches you about that in really simple, e- accessible, easy to remember language and concepts. So essentially there's two different parts of your brain. One is your chimp, which is your emotional part. It's quite reactive. Mm-hmm. It's a chimp, so it yeah. can get quite out of hand sometimes. Okay. And then the other part is your computer, which is your logical, rational part. Yeah both play different roles um and the book really is about just understanding that you've got those two different parts of your brain they're always going to be there you're never going to get rid of either part of them um and how to control how to manage your chimp really yeah actually that's you couldn't have said that better because you you actually went you were about to say control yeah and then you changed it to manage yeah and one of the things because i've read i've read that book quite a long time ago and I remember that was one of the things I really remember about it was it was saying you're never going to be able to control your chimp. Mm-hmm. It's about managing your chimp. Yeah. And in fact, my dad, I gave that book to my dad for Christmas a few years ago, and he still talks about his chimp. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and he goes, oh, that's my chimp reacting. Yeah. And I think you can tell when people have read it because a lot I've met a few people that have talked about the chimp. Oh, we need to get the chimp back in its box or throw the chimp a banana. And I think, oh, I wonder if they've read that book. Yeah. <laughs> no, they probably have. Because he, because I know that. Um, Steve Peters then went on to work with Liverpool football team and Ronnie O'Sullivan, the world snooker champion. Oh, yeah. And in fact, he came to an event that I organised and spoke at it. So oh. I met him, got his number in my phone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's nobody that you don't Literally know. Literally, going to just completely. <laughs> so I'll, I'll flip you his number. I'm joking. I'm joking, Dr. Steve. Um, but, but yeah, no, it, it is a fantastic com, um, concept. And in fact, one of the things I liked about it is I think that there are in lots of books that are around the brain it's the same themes running through them but as you just said it's the way it's explained and the language that's used that makes a big difference yeah so when you realize when some when an incident happens and you react to it and then 10 minutes later two minutes later whatever you go oh that was a bit of a an emotional a knee-jerk reaction mm. you know we can all we can all associate with that we can all kind of relate to that having happened where you then have to deal with the consequence of that emotional reaction mm. and he it is explained really simply in that book so yeah, yeah it, it's a it's a good one to kick us off really mm. um so how has it benefited you then what have you what have you got out of it that book taught me that the, if I'm in a situation that is different uh, so it's not something that I'm comfortable with it's not something that I'm familiar with that my monkey my chimp will be alerted and um, that there is 
it doesn't necessarily mean that just because your chimp is alerted or your chimp starts screaming, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to listen to it or react to it immediately, that you have got time. That's what it's taught me, that I've got time between the emotional response I have um, and how I actually choose to act. Yeah. And you've got to give yourself that time because that the chimp part of your brain reacts lightning fast. Yeah. The computer takes a little bit of time to kick in, but the computer, the calm logical rational mm. bit of your brain you've got to give that time yeah i i i completely agree i think it's it, it exactly does that and you hear people say don't you particularly to children they'll say count to 10 yeah you know <laughs> count to 10 and and it is lit or like take two deep breaths and it does give it that time for the thought say a thought's a physical thing you know or, or something happens you react to it and you it gives that it time to permeate through to say you know even physically if your computer's towards the back you know so it's kind of yeah. going through the chimp yeah um and it, yeah so that that kind of gives you it gives you that time if you like to to have a quick think about it yeah it's yeah in, interesting stuff mm. um anything else about that one before i move on to the next one no that's my key takeaway from that book because without going into too much detail about this my first book is called i'm okay you're okay mm. um and it's by thomas a harris md um and essentially this this book kind of changed my life um, and it centers around something called transactional analysis. Mm -hmm. Really, really small font, really small. Like it's, so you look at it and go, oh my, and it, and it is actually a bit like a textbook. So when I read it, it took me quite a while to get through it. But the takeaways from it for me were particularly around what he calls ego states of parent, adult, child. Mm -hmm. But this is why I'm saying that a lot of these things have a like, um, a, a golden thread going through them. Can't believe I just said that. Sound like <laughs> I've been on a management course. We need to make sure there's a golden thread going through this podcast. <laughs> Listeners out there, um, no, but but basically, yeah, there's there's like there are similarities with with a lot of these things, and it's the same thing. It's basically it's the same as the chimp paradox in that it's giving you the tools to analyze or to have a, let's use easy language to have a look at what you're thinking and why. So. After I'd read I'm Okay, You're Okay, I did a presentation at work, which I, instead of talking about three ego states, I called it, which of the voices in my head should I listen to? Mm -hmm. I was trying to simplify it. And essentially, the takeaway from it was, there's your parent, your adult, and your child. Mm -hmm. And they're the three voices in your head, and they're competing for which one actually is the dominant one, which then affects your behavior, and uh, you know makes you behave in a certain way. And your parent is like the one that would, um, your parent is essentially all of the stuff you've learned from childhood. It's like when you were first born, or in fact first conceived, a tape recorder, they started pressing record, and everything that you take in as a child, you almost see it as fact. Mm. You know, you form your belief systems mm. based on those things. Mm. And then later on in life, you refer back to them as well, that's the truth of things, because that's what I learned as a child. Right. And but Dr. Steve Peters, in The Chimp Paradox, would say, if they're not serving you anymore, if those things that have been programmed into your computer are no longer helpful, he calls them gremlins, gremlins okay. in the machine. Oh, so, so, so that's the golden thread. There you go. <laughs> so we're going to write a book together called The Golden Thread. Um, I'm going to predict that now. Out next Christmas. Um, so with... with um, 
with that, for example, the parent, this recording thing, there's, there's a really great story I've read, I think it is in that book, which is basically around a lady that tells her children never to put a hat on a bed. And then this the little girl grows up and she becomes an adult and she tells her family, never put a hat on a bed. And eventually her husband says, what, why would I, what, why do, why do you always say this? Mm. And she's like, well, because, oh, uh, actually mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm. So she asks her now elderly mother, why don't you put hats on beds? And her mum goes, you put a hat on a bed, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she's like, you've always told us don't put hats on beds. And she traces it back to when she was six years old and the next door neighbours had knits and came around with hats on and the mum said don't put their hats on the bed she read that as we don't put hats on beds and then went on telling her children and anyone who would listen so you pick something up you take it on as fact and there are millions of these billions of these in your life that you cling on to or not cling on to but you hold as being these are factual things that I must not do without actually questioning as to why yeah that aren't you know so so that's your parent your adult is that rational voice yeah and then your child essentially is a bit chimpish yeah you know the really emotional reaction the me yeah. me me i want it to be me i want the center yeah. of attention or ah, that's gone wrong <laughs> i'm not happy about it yeah. you know like so it's the same kind of thing but it, again it's it's written in such a way that you start being able to question your behavior and mm. your thinking and i think that's a very powerful gift to have if you're able to go oh hang on do I need is is that my thinking is that right is that true can I look at it differently yeah and we just believe our thoughts don't we we if a thought goes through our head then we we believe it and actually both of those books um give you the opportunity to take a step back from your thoughts Mm. and observe them yeah you don't have to immediately uh, react or respond to any thought that goes through your head no I mean that that's that's kind of the takeaway message um, from both of those. And one of the other books that I wanted to bring to this is called The Untethered Soul. Mm. And in one of the, fir- in the second or third chapter, it talks about seeing your thoughts as an annoying roommate. And anyone who listens regularly to this show is going to go, oh, God, he's talking about that again. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, a really, it's a really important message to... Or, or for, it certainly helped me massively. In fact, I did... a podcasts um on that subject a Mm. whole show with claire smith um about being the observer of your life and we talk about that a lot but just to touch on it it is that being able to think (laughs) i always say that being able to think but then if you're not your thoughts thinking about it i'm confusing myself even talking (laughs) about but it's it's being able to realize that you're not your thoughts you're not choosing to think that and those thoughts are potentially coming into your head because of things you know you've got ahead of you during the day Mm -hmm. and you're drawing on previous experiences and previous anxieties and neuroses as to what could possibly go wrong Mm -hmm. and then you're formulating this ah i'm worried about it for example you don't have to be you know you don't and you're actually expending a lot of energy Mm. and a lot of tension is created because of it Mm. and that's uh, essentially when people talk about mindfulness and most people will begin their mindfulness journey by by focusing on their breathing that's where most people start but actually when you get really skilled and practiced at it you realize that you can be mindful in anything you do you can mindfully walk or mindfully do your job or mindfully parent um but that that mindfulness gives you that um, opportunity just to observe what's going on in your body, inside your mind, and it it it's teaches you that 
yes, thoughts are going through your head. You're never going to stop them either. It's not about stopping your thoughts. It's just about being able to observe them. And then you've got a moment to decide whether or not you connect with that thought. Yeah. Which ones do you chase after? Which ones do you grab onto? Which ones do you follow and um, act yeah, and these and, and there is actually a, a, a real perception when you hear people talk like we're talking now that, that all your you know that all your thoughts are negative. You know, sometimes you don't want to grab hold of a positive thought either. You know, it's yeah. it's about that it's about that attachment to a thought as being reality. And it's you know another show that I've done was um, around perception versus reality. You know, yeah. check that one out. That's quite interesting to talk about in depth. But because it yeah it, it is about being able to observe it. And I know people might think we're banging on about it, but it really can make a difference if you are able to detach yourself from it. And I've struggled in the past when I've heard people saying, oh, you know, just let it go. Let that thought go. And you're like, I'm like, what? How? <laughs> yeah. How? You know, like it's I was obsessed with Jennifer Leesk when I was 14. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> how can I let it go? She yeah. was gorgeous. You know, like, yeah. but. But anyway, there's yeah. You, you actually, um, if you can practice, and I think that's one of the big things with that, yeah. is you you can't necessarily do something straight off the bat. And like you said, you're never going to actually stop having this monkey mind. Um, it's just something that you can learn to detach from a little bit. That's it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to throw another book out there? Okay. Right. Let me have a look. Um, I want to talk about status anxiety by Ooh. Alan de Botton. What does that mean? It's it's a it's his book. It's a philosophy book actually, so it's not a self help book or a personal development book or a book about mental health. Um, but in the book, he explores things that are external to us that affect how we think and how we behave. Right. Now we live in a time where we strongly believe sort of as a society that if we are successful it is because of something we've done so we really own our success we live in this meritocratic society whereby you if you try hard enough and um you've got the right attitude that you'll rise to the top mm -hmm. the flip side of that coin is that if we don't succeed that's our fault as well okay um, now, Alan de Botton says it hasn't always been this way. So we would call somebody in our society, you know, a loser. If they're not succeeding, we're calling them a loser. If you look back to medieval times, the word that would have been used back then was unfortunate. Ooh, okay. Mm. So that really tells you that, you know, back in medieval times, there was a sense that it's not necessarily that somebody isn't trying hard enough that is preventing them from succeeding, that there is some element of fortune or luck. Mm -hmm. So it depends where you're born, how much money you're born into, yeah. your access to education, yeah. all of these things. Yet in the society we live in and with this sort of predominant uh, prevailing culture of um, if you just try hard enough, you can become Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, yeah, you yeah. know, um, that we that can really impact on your mental health because you think if you've not made it, if yeah. you're not, you're not super successful and really rich then it, it's because you're a loser that's interesting <laughs> I, I have actually i've heard something recently about bill gates and the fact that he had access to a computer you know when when there weren't many computers around yeah he had access to a computer and i think it was it his because of his what his parents did or something that yep. between three and six in the morning he was they let him use this computer free so 
the, the number of hours that guy's put into it's an it's another book. I wish it's I'd um, used the name, the ten thousand hours thing. Oh well, uh, it's it's also mentioned in Outliers oh, that's what I was gonna by say. Malcolm oh, Glad- right. Gladwell. That's what I think yeah. he talks about ten thousand yeah. hours in there. Yeah. So it, these outliers, these people that really succeed. One of the other things he talks about in that book, um, sorry, one of the people who succeed, he says, have had loads of practice at something yeah. like an extraordinary amount of practice yeah. and therefore become good at it yeah. so like that thought thing or meditation thing we were talking about earlier you know you do have to practice yeah the other thing he says about is like um where what month you're born in yeah so like i love this thing i yeah. heard this i heard this on so say you're born in january mm-hmm. but you're born in england where the school year starts if you from the 1st of September. Mm-hmm. So if you were born in January, you're what? September, October, November, December, January. So like five months in. Mm-hmm. So you're almost halfway through. You're kind of one of the middle children. Mm-hmm. But if you were born in Australia, mm-hmm. their school year goes from January to December. Mm-hmm. So you're one of the oldest. Mm-hmm. And if you're the oldest, particularly around sport, I'd suggest, you're generally bigger. So you're competing. If you're competing against someone and you were born in January someone who was born in December, you're bigger than them by almost a year. You yeah. know, you've developed, your brain's developed, your skills of motor neurons and all the rest of it, senses. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? And, it, but it, and, he, and he uses loads, I've never read the book, I've just yeah. heard about it. He and uses then when loads you, of examples. When you look at who gets chosen for the um, extra tuition around sports, in that example, um, it's the it's the children that are born at the start of the year who are bigger and stronger. Mm. Um, so when they looked at um, how many people were in a particular sport were born in that time, there was way more of them born in January. Yeah. Um, because they had that advantage. But you see, they would say, we would say, oh, it must be because they're more talented and they're That's more skilled. Right. And it wasn't. It was purely because yeah. they were bigger and stronger at the start of the year and they were competing against people who were smaller. It's, and I must admit, the first thing came into my head is, when were my kids born? <laughs> you know, I was like, my my four year old was born in March, but um, so she's like, you know, uh, just over. She'll be one of the younger ones, if mm. you like. Um, but my son was born in October, and I was like, get in, mm. you know, like because he's <laughs> yeah. going to be bigger than some of the kids. So, uh, but it, it is really fascinating that. So, but what I would say though is, and I, I always like to try and play devil's advocate a little bit, or well, not devil's advocate, but. You can't use that as an excuse. You know, there's got to be... It's good to recognise that and say, OK, that's um, that's an issue. Um, I've, I'm going to have an uphill battle because I was born in May. So size-wise, I might struggle in sport against someone who's... You know, when, I'm, when you're a child, I mean, that's that much older. And then, like you say, they get all the extra tuition and um, therefore get closer to those 10,000 hours because mm. they're doing it for more. Um, but there must be a way of looking at it that you can go where you can focus on the positive yeah yeah, I I completely agree with you Chris I think there is external influences on all of us that we can't really control that much but then there is there is everything that you can control that is definitely within your power so yeah you might not be given the same opportunities as the next person but don't let that put you off if there's something in your life that you really want to do yeah just get cracked on and do it and do it for you because actually it's something that you want to do and you're going to find it joyful. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, ah, right, okay. So you've hit on something that I was just thinking there as well, which is, um, in we've talked about Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway on a previous podcast. In fact, it was such a big topic, we did it over two podcasts uh, with Helen Danat. And, um, but in that book, um, she talks about, uh, Susan Jeffers talks about 
um, feel the fear and do it anyway. So basically, if you do something that you're fearful of, mm-hmm. you you actually stop being as fearful of it because you've done it. So then, so one of the kind of tips is to, uh, you know, to um, face something head on. And then I heard something the other day, which was a similar theory, but around happiness. And it was saying that if you think of happiness is going to be getting X, Y, Z, new car, new girlfriend, new house, whatever it is, then you, but essentially I'm not going to be happy until then. Yeah. Then one, that's not a great existence. And two, it doesn't necessarily, you may never, never actually get there. Yeah. But actually if you're happy all the time, you're more likely to achieve those things. Yeah. And I was like, oh, but can you choose, can you just choose to be happy? And so I was really questioning this, and I think sometimes you can't, but there are times that you can go, how can I look at this differently? Mm. And that thing you talk about, external influences, external factors, sometimes you can ignore those things, sometimes you grab hold of them too much, and you don't take enough ownership. Yeah. that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something to do with setting your own um, standards of success. So that was interesting, that list that you just said there, which is about getting a nice car and a girlfriend and a nice house. It's all material. Yeah. It's all to do with money. Yeah. And, um, and, that's, and that's how most if, most, if you ask people, you know, describe a successful person, that's how most of us would describe it because culturally that's what we're that's conditioned right. yeah. to see as successful. When you start setting your own standards of success, realising we're not all going to be super rich and... Yeah super successful in a career sense when you start setting your own standards of success um they're more achievable for you they're more personalized i think that's really really important and i think then you you do go through your life contented really interesting to hear you say you know you you set these standards but i think um you know around getting more money getting more status in your career getting a bigger house a bigger car you get those things and then if you've told yourself you'll be happy when I'll be happy when I get that new car, you get that new car, your brain will move the goalpost. Hundred percent, couldn't agree more. Yeah. So you've got the car, but then it's like mm, still not happy. Now yeah. I need to get this thing. Yeah, I think happiness definitely can be a choice. I don't think it's easy. But it is. But I think it's quite. I think it's quite hard and quite painful for some people to to hear this. If I'm honest, I think particularly if you're struggling with um, life. You know, it may not be depression, but if you're struggling, thinking, God, you know, for one thing, you know, social media or you, you look at other people and you see how happy everyone else is. And, you know, it's a perception. It's not reality. Yeah. It, it, you know, everyone's dealing with the same crap. You yeah. know, some people deal with it better than others. And there are people out there that are happy or are happier than the average person. Mm. And if so, I kind of think that's my goal is to not be Mr. I'm happy all day, every day, but because you have to have those bumps in the road to appreciate the happiness for one thing. Absolutely. I think happiness is almost like a bit of a toxic cult because (laughs) we, you're not going to be happy all the time. You are not. Yeah. We all, you know, we all experience struggles and challenges in life. And this idea that we should be striving for happiness is just setting everybody up to fail because you're never going to achieve it. So for me, I don't, I don't really strive for happiness anymore. I set my own standards of success. I try to achieve them. I enjoy the effort. I enjoy the actual trying mm. to get to those places. Um, and I don't mind when I'm not 
happy. I don't mind when I'm not happy That's because it's really just. Interesting. <laughs> That's really interesting. I, I, I mean, the other thing is on that that builds on that is how many times have you heard people saying, um, "It was getting there that I enjoyed the most." Absolutely. And actually, it's a weird one that because I think that if you knew you were going to get there, wherever there is, you could probably enjoy it more. But at the same time, not knowing if you're going to get there and having that kind of drive to succeed wherever there is. And in fact, um, the um, Andrew Flintoff, Freddie Flintoff, the cricketer, he says, and he's, he has struggled with depression, and he says when he became the best all-rounder in the world, he found it boring. Yeah. So when I got there, I was, <laughs> it was a bit dull. Yeah. And then when he was struggling for form, he, was, he loved it because he could get stuck in again. Yeah. And it was that kind of building back up to the top. And, he, you know, he's kind of appreciated now that actually it's the fight and it's the drive and that to get there yeah. that he really enjoys. Yeah. And some of that involves not being happy. Yeah. You know, because it's part of it. And it's, you know, so, but I've, oft, I've thought in the past, well, it's easy to say when you're there and you're a millionaire and you're not about him in particular but you know you hear people saying oh you know but it's all about the journey and you're like yeah it's all right for you sat yeah, there in your yeah. mansion yeah. like but yeah I, but I, I 100% can appreciate that if I lived in a mansion right now um, I'd still be living on my own with my kids three days a week or whatever uh, like so those the, the four nights a week I'd still be sat there on my own I just have loads of nice stuff around me, and I'd be in a bigger house. Like, it, it, it's kind of like, hmm, it doesn't, I, I can appreciate it already yeah. that, yeah. you know, those material things are not necessarily the most important. It's more about how can I learn to be okay when I'm on my own? Yeah. What are the things that I can, that's for me personally. Yeah, yeah. So we've only mm. got a couple of minutes left. So mm. any other books or things that you want to give a shout out? My goodness, I could... Oh, I mean, just could, say a couple of names. Yeah, okay, so I'm going to say Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. She's mm. written lots of books, but Daring Greatly was the one that really got her famous, I suppose, in the first instance. My key takeaway from that book is I am enough. Okay, I like that. Mm. I like that. We all have, all of us have these voices going through our heads that say, who do you think you are? You can't do that because yeah. you're not clever enough. You're yeah. not pretty enough. You're not thin enough. You're not fit enough. Yeah. You're not strong enough. And uh, that book for me really was about. Uh, that's the key takeaway. It was such a powerful book for me. Yeah, that um, sounds great. I'm gonna I'm gonna give that a go. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Oh, I could go on for ages. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll I've I've mentioned this one loads of times. I'm sure. But who moved my cheese? Um, is is one of the books that. That massively helped me if you're mm, going through any kind book. of period of change who moved my cheese is a really good like kick up the bum to, mm. to get you thinking okay yeah you know it's about four four characters and the way they each of them deals with change yeah you definitely you associate with one of them probably the fact that you're reading the book means you associate with one of the two more negative characters and if you really associate with the, the really kind of stuck in their ways one you kind of go oh okay i might need to make some changes to the way I look at things or actually be a bit more grabbing the initiative and then we've, we're a little bit over time but I just very quickly so any of the there's a couple of others there's The Alchemist um, yeah is a, is a great book which is like um, not necessarily a self-help book but tells a really good story yeah um, and then I read a book called um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl I've not read that yet and it's been on my reading list for such a long time you can borrow it it's oh, brilliant thank you. it's got my notes in it though with oh. pink highlighter <laughs> pen all over it 
so I'll give you an insight into my life. But that's another amazing one. Mm. Um, anything else you want to throw out before I before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I think I think I've said everything that I came to say, Chris. That was high energy. I really enjoyed that. I was really enthusiastic. I loved it. Thank you, Becky, for coming into the studio. Thanks for having me again. Um, and thank you guys out there for listening as always um, please follow me on Twitter at mentalconvs that's M-E-N-T-A-L-C-O-N-V-S uh, and on Instagram mentalconversations and uh, another episode will be winging its way to you soon thanks guys <laughs>